Welcome to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. One thing I can promise for every episode, I will be authentic about my experiences and observations and do it with as much humor as possible. Not always possible, but generally speaking, it is. Beyond that, I will keep making the point that we're all in this together and that no one should ever, ever feel alone or judged in any way. I think we can all agree that dating over 50 is hard enough as it is. After you listen, you're welcome to comment on my Lynn Garson author page on Facebook. But for now, keep listening for another new episode. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, and welcome to Episode 8 of Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. A quick aside about the title of this episode, anybody who grew up when I did and was into rock music will recognize Stephen Stills and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Love the One You're With. What this is about is loving yourself, since that's the person you're with the most of anybody. The reason we're talking about this is I'm about to wrap up four episodes about bad habits, and bad might not be the right word, but habits that I needed to change that I identified in Sex and the Single Grandma. And it talks about my journey to move past or overcome these habits. So the first was neediness and rushing it. Second was not speaking up for myself. Third was overlooking reality in favor of the fantasy. And now we are to the fourth and final, although I'm sure on reflection I'll come up with more. But as of now, this is the fourth, which is low self-worth, low self-esteem, feeling insecure. There are so many ways to name that, but I think you get the idea. By now, though, I'm sure you're used to my digressions, so here is maybe the only digression I have for this episode. I want to go back to what I mentioned about the guy I went out with named Chris. I spoke about him in episode seven. He was the one who bought my book, read the first few chapters, and sent me an email saying that he was really surprised and found that there was a huge disconnect because when he met me in person, I seemed cautious, whereas I seemed to be sexually adventuresome in the book, and he really wanted to explore that. And I laughed and and said to to you all on the podcast that he was not going to be exploring that with me, and it sounded probably in a great huff about it. What I do want to acknowledge, and which was pointed out to me very kindly by a friend on my Lynn Garson author Facebook page, she was so kind as to even private message me, uh, that writing a book named Sex and the Single Grandma might lead some men to believe that I am a hot mama who's just looking for a hookup. That would not be shocking. And I know that. And I knew that. When I went into that date and any date that I go into, if I mention the book to the man that I'm going out with, and I just wanted to say that, yes, that may be true, but it does not mean that I appreciate a completely, uh, an approach that completely lacks finesse. Let's just put it that way. I may have written a book called Sex and the Single Grandma, but if anybody reads it, 
they'll understand that it's a bit of, you know, it's not meant to be a deep searching book, but but there's a certain amount of, of self-reflection in it. And it's certainly not just about sex uh, at any level. So that's all that I wanted to say about that. Um, back to poor self-image, and that, that will be the topic of the rest of this episode. So, poor self-image. Let me count the ways that I had poor self-image as a younger person, starting very, very young. So, the first way in which I had poor self-image was body image. I always thought that I was too fat. That was a, a family story, and I bought into it. And I've looked, sadly, I've looked back at pictures of myself as a young person, an um, adolescent and a teen, and I really wasn't. But in my head, I thought, oh my God, I'm so fat, I'm so fat, I'm so fat. So that was one. Another way in which I had low self-esteem, too shy. Uh, just didn't really, I, I went to a school from 7th through 12th grade that was separated into a girls' and a boys' school. And I think that maybe didn't help that I was shy with the guys because I wasn't around them that much at a time when I would have been being into my teen years and meeting guys and developing in that way. So partly that way and just partly by nature. But okay, it's fine to be shy, but I would beat myself up about it. And then here's the big one, I think, that just went on for years. Not cool enough. I didn't and don't like to go to bars. So after I got out of college in 1975, that was the way that people went out and met guys. You would go to bars. I detested going to bars. I have never had a carrying voice. I'm sure you can hear from this from how I speak on the podcast, I've got a pretty low voice and it doesn't project all that well. And I don't know how people hear in those bars at all. I never could hear. Now I'm 65, I really can't hear, but I couldn't hear back then either. Um, and, and I mean, it went further than that. Things like tailgating that people love to do, I would really rather have walked over hot coals than go to a tailgate. And the the issue for me is that I do great one-on-one. -on -one. I do great even in small groups of people. I've always said, if you put me on a desert island with somebody, we will be best of friends very quickly. But in large groups, they're difficult for me. I suppose in the Myers-Briggs, if you've heard of that way of testing, I must be some kind of a strange introvert who also has extrovert tendencies because I can be very extroverted. I mean, certainly a true introvert would not be speaking publicly, I think, about all these experiences and writing publicly about dating and, and not feeling any compunction and embarrassment in doing that. Um, so at any rate, talking about low self-esteem, when I looked at the issues that I described in the previous several episodes, many of them actually have their roots in low self-esteem. So neediness and rushing it were a reflection at, at some level of low self-esteem, not speaking up for myself as well. Um, so I think I can say that that issue is the most pervasive in my life and has been the hardest to change. For example, let's talk about Alan from Sex and the Single Grandma. That's the first story that I tell. Um, and a uh, slight digression, not a big one. I've never mentioned this before, I don't think, in the podcast, but the 
gentlemen whom I describe in Sex and the Single Grandma are actually in inverse chronological order. What happened, I believe, is that after I went out with Alan, who was actually the most recent, I had one of those moments that was just, what? How is this happening? How does this keep happening to me? And I think I got frustrated and maybe a little bit angry, which fuels my writing quite well. So anger is a great motivator. So I think that's when I started writing And he was the most recent and the one that I, of course, remembered the best. And then as the book went on, the characters seemed to come later in time, but they actually were people that I had dated earlier. So I don't know if anybody ever caught it, but if you really look at when the Rolling Stones concert took place in New Jersey, it was was a long time ago. And I I tried very hard not to make it confusing in that way, so maybe you couldn't tell. But that was actually the date that was the longest ago, but it was described as the most recent simply because of the way I started writing the book. So there's my last digression, I promise. So talk about Alan. Being afraid to say no, being afraid to say, I don't like this house, I don't like this mess, I don't like the Zaxby's dinner with the plastic forks. I don't like these dogs who are, you know, mangy and and with fleas and, and all that. What that was is partly, at least, coming from low self-esteem. The I'm not worth it, his feelings are more important than mine. And that is a problem. When I get into the mode of some guy's feelings are more important than mine, that's a recipe for disaster. And it was. And it was with Alan. At least I got out of there pretty quickly. Um, And I guess the good news is in thinking about, even though I've described these as being in inverse order, um, you can see a development through some of the dates where I start to get a little bit better. So with George... I finally spoke my mind and quit being so scared of what would happen if I did. As it turned out, I got stuck on a mountaintop, but I figured out how to get home. As my therapist consistently reminds me, a lot of times I'll make up story after story that I'm not competent in certain situations, despite the fact that I have proved my competence in similar situations time and time and time again. It has been an uphill battle for me in terms of just acknowledging who I am and what I am and owning that and owning my power, really, which is very topical, I think, of the moment with things like the Me Too movement. I have a daughter who's just gone to work for something called the National Coalition of Girls Schools. It's all about empowerment for young girls. I sort of wish somebody had done that when I was a young girl. I think I was given the impression and and the, the backing that there was nothing I couldn't do, but I got other messages as well, which were, yeah, but you're not, you know, don't try because you might fail and you're really not that good and, and things like that, that I've really had to work a lifetime to overcome. And I have worked a lifetime to overcome those things 
in the dating setting and in a lot, really in a lot of other settings, because that's not something that somebody's character suffers from just in one scenario. If, if low self-esteem is an issue, it's pervasive. And the interesting thing is that for me, the turning point was writing Southern Vapors and where that took me. And I have to tell you something funny about that, and and I know that you'll laugh and you'll roll your eyes maybe, but when I wrote Southern Vapors, all I thought was that I was going to be a famous author. Don't laugh. You know, it's not bad to think that what you produce as an author is good. That's a good thing. You should be proud of your work. But And I know a lot of other authors who, who go down that route, especially new authors. There was a woman who wrote a wonderful book called, um, I think it's called 40 Days with My Father. Her father had been a Vietnam War veteran, and she had finally, after many, many years, convinced him to talk with her about his experiences, which had very much shaped her life. And she and I were sitting in, in something, hoping we were going to get some award at, at one point, I think in maybe 2013. And we confessed to each other that we had each applied our books for a Pulitzer Prize. <sighs> oh, well. Like I said, it's good to feel good about yourself, especially when you do suffer from low self-esteem. So, yeah, neither of us did win a Pulitzer, but we both wrote books that we can be proud of, and that's a wonderful thing. What did happen for me is that Southern Vapors gave me a purpose that I did not have previously in my life. I was never a person who was defined by my marriage or my children or my job. And I have said a million times, but I will say it again, I do not judge anybody who is defined by those things. The world is a big place. There is room for all kinds of different approaches, all kinds of different ways of looking at things, all kinds of choices about our lives. That was not my choice. It's not how I'm constructed. In a way, it wasn't really a choice. It's just now not how I'm built. And for many, many years, I really did search for something that gave meaning to my life. And I really didn't think like being down below the ground at a mental institution was going to be the genesis of what gave meaning to my life, but it was. So, you know, there you go. You can never pick those things. But what happened is that I started down the road of speaking at book clubs and things like that for Southern Vapors. And I got questions from people and indications from people that they thought it was valuable that I was willing to just openly talk about mental health issues and being in mental health facilities and what I had done to move past some of my issues and some resources that I thought were available. There was value in that because there are not a lot of people, number one, who are willing to talk about that and number two, who are necessarily able to. I've been very lucky that I've recovered to the point that I can be articulate. I can get up and speak about these things. They are part of my history, but they don't run my life now. So I can pull them up from the reservoir and talk about them without it making me come undone. 
And that's turned out to be a very good thing, and it's given a purpose to my life that has given me a sense of self-worth. It has grown from 2013. I was very lucky to get asked to do a—it's a TEDx talk, if you know what that is. It is not the the— the parent TED Talk. It's like the child. It's it's TED Talks that are done all over the country at other institutions. This one was at Emory University in Atlanta. It was in 2013, and it was about what I thought about reforming the mental health system in the U.S. Um, never shy to take on large issues, but that morphed into more and more being a mental health advocate, which gave me purpose, which gave me a boost in my self-esteem and made me feel good about myself in a way that carried over to every phase of my life, including dating. I think now that I am a person of value, where for many, many, many years, if you'd asked me, I doubt that I would have said straight up, no, I don't think I have value. But in my heart of hearts, I didn't. I did not think I had as much value as the next person. I didn't probably in many ways think I had much value at all. And that certainly made my choices in relationships go a certain way. A lot of times, I'm sure you've noticed in reading Sex and the Single Grandma, if you've read about the dating experiences that I speak about in Southern Vapors as well, you see that a lot of times I'm picking people who didn't challenge me at an intellectual level. They weren't as stable as I was. And at those times, I think that was all I felt comfortable with, because despite the fact that on the surface I was pretty stable and, and as I said, articulate, and, and I was back to practicing law ever since, I think, 2011, uh, even 2010, I think, um, I didn't, I didn't accept that about myself. I did not own that about myself. And slowly but surely, I did come to own that. And now it also spills over into dating. So I no longer am willing to shortchange myself in the way that I had been willing to shortchange myself. So this has been my experience. I think for anybody who suffers from low self-esteem, it's a hard journey. It's a really hard journey. I think there's got to be, there have to be things that we can hold on to to build a foundation. And then the foundation fills in. And then you build the first story and then the second story. And then before you look around, you have an infra infrastructure of self-esteem that it's sort of like money in the bank. So if something happens that you take a hit, you've got that reserve so that it doesn't knock you all the way down. I am rarely knocked all the way down anymore by any experience, including these dates. You can tell. I laugh about them now. It didn't knock me down. They weren't always funny at the time, but I rebounded and I they're a blip on the screen now. I've learned from them, which is what I've been discussing in these several episodes, which is a good thing. I think it's important to be able to learn from these sorts of things. But, you know, I mean, they don't knock me down. And in fact, I've got another date when I get back from vacation. It's July 4th, 2019 tomorrow. So I am celebrating with family in Hilton Head and just enjoying the weather and being outside. 
And then I will come back and next week have a date with what sounds like a very interesting guy. And if he's not the one, then we'll move on. But I hope you are having a great July 4th and do have a great 4th. Probably when you hear this, you will be well beyond the 4th. But I hope it was a great one. And remember, we are all in this together. Until next episode, have a great week or two. 